Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 welcome to today's show. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. We've got a great guest lined up for you tonight. It's good to see the chat room building up a little bit. Um, I just want to warn everybody ahead of time. Um, the other night I was talking about my uh, dog with dementia. Today she's been really kind of off and on. So um, just want to let you guys know that if you hear her barking in the background, that's who it is. Uh, you know, you really, anybody that's had a dog that has dementia, you really can't do a lot about it. So um, outside of putting them down at some point, if it gets to the point where you can't, deal with it anymore she's 17 so hopefully she quieted down and went out there and gave her a hug and gave her a nice blanket nice warm blanket to lay with so hopefully she settles down anyway um welcome and um again my name is charlotte and i'll be your host for the night i'm the owner of the california haunts paranormal investigation team based out of sacramento california you can find us at www.californiahaunts.org and the radio show is at www.californiahauntsradio.com. You can tell where I have to stop and think about what I'm saying here. I want to welcome you all. And uh, tonight's an important night. It's an interesting night. Um, it's, a, it's a different kind of night. The gentleman I have on spent time, Dr. Bill Kimberlin, spent time with, de with death row inmates in Ohio. And he not only spent time with them at the very end, he spent time with them way before then, talking with them um, you know, eating with them, all that stuff. And so he wrote a real nice book about it. And um, I, I read parts of the book. It's, it's a fascinating read. You know, it's, 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 it's in the mind of someone that, that, that is, you know, near death on death row. So I think you're going to find it interesting. A couple announcements. One quick announcement is that on the 19th, we are celebrating solstice with some psychic readings that are going to take place on Zoom. Uh, medium Stephanie Page Belson uh, from our team is going to be doing these readings. So if you'd like to have one done, you know, because uh, solstice is a time to reflect inside yourself and look at the past, future, and current. Um, she will answer three questions for you. She'll be using runes and tarot cards and other means to do that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool event. So if you're interested in that, visit the website at www.californiahauntsradio.com and go to uh, the tab at the top that says extras and it'll take you into our events and you can sign up from there. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to get Dr. Dr. Kimberly in here. And like I said, I'm going to apologize in advance if the dog um, decides to start barking. That's just how it's got to be. So unfortunately. Okay. All right. Here we go. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you today? Or this Good. Evening, how are you? I should say. Yes. How are you? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Absolutely. I thought your book was fascinating. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. It's uh, it, It's been a journey uh, over the last decade or so um, dealing with the uh, the, the individuals that I do on uh, death row and, and this book in particular is, is based mostly out of Ohio's death row, but I, I do travel to de uh, death rows all over the country, um, including California. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been different. 
when you think about movies, I'm sorry, <laughs> my mind, I'm already ahead of myself. When you think about what you do in the books that you have, it, what comes to mind to me is that movie with Sean Penn. Oh, yes, um, where uh, the, the sister or the nun was. Yeah, the, 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 the nun is hanging with him at death, on death row, yeah. Yes, so I guess the, the big difference, and in fact, that, that, uh, that organization contacted me early on um, and wanted me to speak. Um, and I, I turned them down only because of the fact that uh, I, I try to stay completely unbiased, not mm -hmm. for or against uh, the death penalty. It's the reason why I don't really state one way or the other in my book. What I want to do is um, uh, educate people and inform them and let them make their own um, educated decisions one way or the other. Um, but it's such a, a, a process that's not very transparent at all. So uh, what what people see is only on uh, on the media, and it, it kind of mm -hmm. portrays it in a in a different light. And uh, so when when I set out to to write this book, I wanted to make sure that that people knew I was I was not taking sides one way or the other. That's great. That's great. Um, I know I've, I've never been. I've never known a death row inmate. I've known people that were in prison for life. You know, because because the work I do as a journalist, um, so I've never had the chance to even talk to anybody that that's on death row. What is it like for them? So I guess it would depend on what death row uh, uh, you're in. So mm -hmm. when I will, when I go to Ohio's death row, you know, I um, I sit across from the table, one on one, no handcuffs, no shackles. I get to eat with them. Um, you know, there's uh, nobody else typically around. There might be a guard at the end of the pot or something, but as it gets closer to their execution date, uh, um, we have the whole pod to walk up and down um, and, and discuss everything. Uh, I'm in Florida now currently, so when I go to Florida's death row, there's about 24, 25 inmates in the same room together. Uh, again, no handcuffs, no shackles, no anything, and you're free mm -hmm. to move around. And, you know, they have a canteen area where you can get, uh, you know, frozen pizzas and burgers and ice cream and everything like that. So um, San Quentin's death row is a little different. They lock in a cage one-on-one -on -one, um, with that with that individual. So, um, but uh, in, uh, in reference to your question of what's death row like for them, um, the way the media portrays it, that they're locked down, you know, 23 hours a day, they pump mm -hmm. one hour of sunlight in and, and that's it. Um, that, that's uh, an exaggeration. They, um, they have a lot of movement outside of their cells in, in rec time. And, uh, you know, they, you know, at least in Ohio, they can visit one another in, in their pods on death row. And um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's, it's not anything like you see that's portrayed on TV. You know, I can't imagine being in somewhere, being you know, stuck somewhere like that, knowing that the eventuality is is you're going to die. So yeah, what's the know, mindset it, of these it, guys like? Yeah, so it's it's really, um, you know, and and I heard you you know speaking about your your dog, and I'm and I'm sorry to hear about that because I I'm a huge animal lover, dog lover. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you know, being an educated person and the the good life that your your dog has had. Um, but the end is coming and, and you can sense that mm -hmm. and you don't want them to suffer. And, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, at some point, you know, unfortunately, they may have to 
uh, be euthanized. Um, the same as somebody that's going through a hospice care, even though they're not euthanizing them, you're watching them suffer. Right. Um, but now on death row, these individuals are um, alive and well and kicking and, and, you know, can laugh and joke and everything else, even hours before. Plus, you know the exact day, time, method that you're going to die. So uh -huh. so they're faced with that. And, um, you know, that that can uh, wear on them psychologically. Um, but unfortunately, it wears on the, the victim's families even more. <laughs> okay. Um, are, are, are they remorseful or are, are some of them still saying that, that they're innocent, you know, right up to the time that they take the walk? Um, everyone that I've been a part of, uh, execution wise, and, and I've been uh, a part of multiple ones, um, no one's ever shown any remorse. Um, okay. when I first started this, uh, this journey, I made everybody admit that they were guilty before I would, uh, interview them. Uh -huh. uh, and, and the reason being was, again, the, the biased aspect. I figured if if they were seriously believing that they were wrongfully convicted, then they need to, you know, speak to an attorney or somebody in the legal field, innocence projects, things like that, that could, that could assist them. They knew right from the very beginning I was there to learn from them um, and get inside that criminal thinking mind. Um, what brought them there, what's going to take them out, and the process leading all the way up to it. So um, I do have, um, I would say the one that uh, professes his innocence the most to me that I speak to on a regular basis would be uh, Scott Peterson, who's been in the news uh, a lot recently. So, uh, but most, uh, I, you know, I have countless inmates and they're all pretty much, um, uh, they admit their guilt and then some. So what do you talk to them about? So I will, when I go into that, uh, to the first interview, um, you know, I might sit there for hours and talk about the weather, politics, you know, the economy. Um, I've learned over the years that the least amount of questions I ask, the more they tell me. So, um, you know, they're very manipulative in the very beginning. So I let them take control of the conversation. You know, this is uh, this has been a, an endeavor that, that takes a lot of time and patience. Some of these individuals I've followed for many, many, many years. Um, and it's not something that you just uh, dive right into and say, oh, hey, by the way, why'd you kill, you know, 10, 20, 40, 50 people? And how'd you do it? So... Um, I will literally talk about anything they want to talk about. Interesting. I just, you know, just, I, I, like I said, I have talked to prisoners. Some people are, you know, some of them are lifers that I've talked, that I've interviewed. And it's always, a, the, the, they always act so honest with you. It, 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 it used to, I don't know if I want to say made me laugh, but not in front of them, of course. But I mean, it was always well, you know, this is what happened. I didn't know the gun was there. What you know, I didn't know it was under, under right. there or any of this. What do you do? You know, when you're talking to somebody like that, how do you handle it? So I, um, we do laugh and joke a lot um, mm -hmm. when it comes to their crimes, because eventually they do start uh, telling me everything that that has occurred. Uh, some have confessed other murders to me, and. 
you know, I'm, I'm working on different angles on that as well right now. But uh, I try I try not to show any emotion one way or the other um, mm-hmm. because I, I think a lot of times they look for that response, especially the ones that are um, into the, the necrophilia and things of that nature. Um, they want to see how much you can handle um, and what's going to, you know, gross you out and things like that. So there is literally nothing that I haven't heard. Um, but I, um, I typically will show no, no emotion one way or the other. So that's what I found too. I'm talking to you know, people like that because that they do do it to see how, how far they can push you to see, you yes. know, what emotion they can get out of you with, with whatever they're saying. Right. Right. And, and they'll try to elicit that from you. Um, but that was early on when I first started nowadays, um, inmates will reach out to me, uh, from different death rows. So, um, they already know my background. They know where I come from. They, uh, you know, they hear I'm a stand up guy, I guess on death row, mm-hmm. or, you know, I don't know if that looks good on a resume or not, but, um, I've never sold any of them out. You know, I have probably a couple thousand pieces of artwork laying around, uh, that they have sent me. I think, uh, this last week alone, I may have gotten 20 or 22, different paintings, uh, oil on canvas and everything else mm-hmm. just in one week. Um, so they send me stuff all the time and there's a huge market out there for, for uh, death row memorabilia, letters, signatures, all that. And I have a, I have enough for a warehouse because I've never gotten rid of one single uh, uh, piece of uh, art or, you know, letters or anything. So they know I'm not doing it for, you know, the notoriety or the money or anything like mm-hmm. that. So um, that's why, you know, the, the you know, Charles Ings and the Scott Petersons and the St. Quentins and that they, they send me a lot of their artwork all the time. Um, and it's just stored away. So, And they have a sense of humor, too, about what's going to happen to them. Because I know um, Folsom, because Folsom has a gift shop, you know, out the, the, where the prisoners will, will make right. stuff. And I think one of the things I don't find it humorous, but in, in a sick, twisted sort of way, it's humorous. There's a particular inmate in there that will make a, a little mini electric chairs. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> um, yeah. So like uh, San Quentin has their own little hobby shop and things like that. So, um, you know, they they do sell a lot of it that way to try to you know mm-hmm. earn some money for themselves uh, on the road. Um, but they they the stuff that they have sent me over the years. Um, they just try to outdo each other. You know, I'll get paintings made out of human blood, other ones, you know, with the semen and everything else. Um, <laughs> you name it, I've, I've received it in the mail. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I catalog it. I set it aside. Um, and, uh, but they do have, a, a lot of them do have a good sense of humor, um, which uh, the reason, and, and if anybody ever wants to see some of the art, you know, if they, if they go to my Instagram or, or my uh, Facebook account, I try to post, a, um, you know, weekly or something like that, just the tip of the iceberg. But I, um, uh, 99% of the time, I never say who the death row inmate is or the mm-hmm. artist or anything like that, because I don't want to glorify it or, or glamorize it or anything like that. I never want to offend any of the, the families of the victims out there or anything like that, so... Uh, but it does show the talent that a lot of them have uh, mm-hmm. behind bars on death row. The one that struck me was the uh, the, the the hands with, with the two kind of forearms attached. 
You know, those were different. Uh, <laughs> that those were sent to me by the only uh, female uh, Native American okay. on death row, and uh, she's she claims she has some uh, even better ones to send me next. So uh, <laughs> th those those ones even caught me off guard because usually she'll send me a scarf or something along those lines. Right. And uh, it, what struck me as funny on that one is where I work. Um, my the head of the HR department they they follow me on everything death row wise, and that just happened to come in and it was probably sitting there for about a week and I'm like you can open that if you want it's probably just a scarf or something and uh, when she opened it up uh, <laughs> I thought she was gonna faint so, yeah you never know well I have a friend that does um, paper mache stuff for the uh, parades in New Orleans and so that's when yep. people were like well. What do you think it is? What's it made out of? And I was like, oh, it's paper mache. It's got to be paper well, mache. I do have a lot of paper mache stuff, usually from yeah. Florida's death row or Cal California's death row. Yeah. But those hands are actually uh, rubber molds. However, she got those. I have no idea. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. What is one of the saddest? I mean, you know, obviously you hear a lot of stories from, from these guys. Yeah. And obviously some of them could be true. Some of them may not be true. Who knows? But what's one of the stories that sticks out in your mind from from, from someone that that, that 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 was on death row? Wow, you know, here's the sad reality of it. After you do this for so many years, you become desensitized in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think what's probably the most depressing part for me is knowing that I have uh, maps to... Uh, different bodies that still need to be recovered. Uh -huh. uh, and um, speaking with law enforcement and, and uh, the FBI at the time, and we even filmed all the way up to where one of the sites uh, in Ohio was uh, located. You know, they all believed they were legitimate maps, but they just pretty much said, you know, hey, they were prostitutes, so we don't really have the resources and uh, uh -huh. we're just not interested. And, you know, that, that's the sad reality of it is because, you know, labeling somebody a prostitute is just um, uh, that, that should never even enter anybody's mind before uh -huh. whatever they were doing. They were, you know, a sister, an aunt, a daughter, you know, whatever. Uh -huh. And uh, they're human. And somewhere out there, some families would love to have some closure. But, uh, you know, uh, sometimes law enforcement can stand in the way of that. And, and that's the sad reality. Um and this individual who has given me three uh, locations, one in uh, Ohio and, and two in Florida, has other ones as well and will not give me any more until these ones are dug up because he's huh. that's how convinced he is. He knows for a fact that they're there and uh, why waste any more time if we're not going to recover them. Right, 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 right. I just find what you do interesting. You know, it's it's sad too because, like, 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 you know, like you say, you're talking to these guys, and there's, there's, unless there's a stay of execution, the end's going to come. The end game is the same. Correct. They are going to die, you know, and um, like you said, unless there is a stay um, or or a reprieve, mm -hmm. then they are um, they have a date with death. And um, as that date gets closer and their appeals run out, uh, their clemency is denied, 
then the reality hits. So leading up to it, they have what's called phantom dates. They're always given an execution date, but they know they're phantom dates because mm -hmm. of the appeals. But at some point, those appeals are going to be exhausted and judgment time is going to be here. Um, and uh, that's when the reality sets in to them. Uh, but it also shows how broken the system is because they will put them on, you know, suicide watch for 30 days ahead of time. Uh, even though they've been on death row for 27 years, 30 days uh -huh. out, that's when they're concerned. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of um, uh, hypocrisy that goes on. You know, they will they will go to the ends of the earth, the states will, to um, keep these individuals alive in order to execute them. So where the average individual out here um, may not be able to afford insulin or the, mm -hmm. the medications that they need or the chemotherapy or radiations, they have cancers and things like that, their medical care is taken care of. And instead of letting them expire naturally, they will do whatever they can to, to keep them alive in order to carry out the ultimate form of punishment, which is uh, executing them. I didn't know that. That's something. Well, I can kind of see it in a way. Yeah. You know, I, I can understand that mm -hmm. because I mean, it, it is a state, you know, it's, not, it's a political, you know, it's not only a statement that they did this crime, but it's also a political statement. You know, it, it, it politics has taken over the, uh, the criminal justice system when it comes to uh, administering the death penalty. And uh, typically you will find that um, the more conservative the state is, the more apt that they will have the death penalty. Mm -hmm. And the more liberal the state is, the, the least likely that they will. So um, in your state, for example, California, they have a moratorium placed on mm -hmm. uh, while Governor Newsom is in office. So while he's in office, they're guaranteed not to have a single execution. And, and, Scott, uh, and Scott Peterson recently got a sentence changed. Yes, yeah, so he's been sentenced to life without parole, and then um, he has some hearings coming up uh, uh, early next year to determine whether or not he gets a new trial. Mm -hmm. uh, so as it stands right now, no matter what, he he, he will never be um, on death row again. Mm -hmm. um, but um, now that he's been sentenced to life, the next stage is whether or not he's going to be granted a new trial, and that's, that's what... Uh, he's banking on right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, like with, with, with all, the whole appeal system, is it just, a, I mean, pretty much for the prisoner, is it just a stalling tactic unless they get lucky and, and the guy, you know, do they get a governor that does decide to do the clemency thing? Is it just mostly a stalling tactic for, for the inevitable day? Well, <laughs> again, it's, um, it's, there's so many different angles to that. So, hypothetically say I'm put on death row and I say, I don't want to appeal anything, you know, just put me to death. First thing they're going to do is order a competency hearing because they want to see if I'm competent enough to make that decision. Mm -hmm. So that takes years. Um, other times um, you'll have inmates who want to still control the victim's families by, okay. you know, filing all these appeals, making them relive this mm -hmm. so that they never, you know, have that closure. Um, and then there's also attorneys out there that that's their bread and butter. You'll see them on the news, on media all the time saying how 
um, horrible the death penalty is, they need to do away with it and everything else. But, you know, sitting in those uh, debriefing rooms, you know, prior to an execution, I'm sitting usually with the defense attorneys because I'm on the mm-hmm. defendant's uh, list mm-hmm. of, to witness. Um, you get a whole different picture that, that they need the death penalty in order to have these cases to defend. So Okay. Okay. Um, now, like you, like you said, your especially in your book, you have spent a lot of time with, with some of these inmates. Yes. What is it like being down there on a day? Or I don't know how many, how many, how many times you go down to see them or whatever, but what's it like being with somebody consistently until that day of death? So, you know, um, when you enter death row, death row is like a, a prison within a prison. So it, it is um, very secured on, on inside and the out. Um, once you get in there, it's very quiet, um, typically very clean. Um, it, it's not like general population. It's not like you see on TV where everybody's you know, hollering and screaming and banging on the gates or anything like that. It's uh, very subdued. Um, and I, I just make sure that I'm never um, complacent. I'm mm-hmm. always, um, regardless, I'm always on edge because, you know, the, these individuals, and, and they've told me flat out, listen, the, the guards will let anybody they want in on death row. We decide if you leave or not. So you're always cognizant of the fact that these individuals have nothing to lose. They already have a a death sentence hanging over their head. So, you know, your your safety and security is always in the back of your mind. So I try to um, be vigilant and look around and and always be cognizant of, of what's going on to the point of at the end of every interview, when I leave that prison, whichever one it is, I'm just drained, mentally drained. Um, because your senses are so heightened throughout the entire um, the in the entire interview, whether it's two hours, four hours, or eight hours, you know, depending on where you're at. So, um, but I don't I don't form any type of close knit bond with them. I don't okay. I don't develop a friendship or anything like that. Now on their end, they see it that way, um, but to me, they're they're research subjects. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I try to get okay. inside that, that criminal mind as much as possible. What have you found, you know, like you say, you, you're trying to get inside that criminal mind to, to see if there's any similarities in these guys. Have you found any similarities in, in the way they think or the way their minds work? Um, I, I, w- I would say that the most common denominator between all of them is that they are dangerously normal, that they can be your next door neighbor they could be your co-worker they could be your you know student next to you whatever you, they don't walk around with serial killer tattooed on their forehead or or anything along those lines so they i've had them where they've come from horrible traumatizing childhoods you know backgrounds all the mm-hmm. way up to very um very good families so you know, when you when you see the the profilers out there and things like that, um, again, that's a little misleading um, mm-hmm. because it's hard to diagnose or uh, learn from anybody just in one or two settings. So when you when you um, delve into their their mindset over you know not months but years sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
you, you get to really see what's been going on in their head. Um, and um, yeah, that's uh, there's some of them, I would say that it's more biological than a learned behavior, that there's something <clears throat> just not right in the brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to say, you know, born evil or anything like that, because that's mm-hmm. a, 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 you know, a, more of a legal term, but uh, not a clinical term anyways. Right. But, but um, you know, when you're killing, you know, when, you know, when I'm talking to somebody like Samuel Little, who killed like 90 or, um, you know, Charles Ng, who I think mm-hmm. 25 or so, that's not a learned behavior, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. something's wrong with the brain chemistry somewhere. And, um, you know, Dennis Rader, things like that, when not only before, but during the act of the murder and afterwards as well. So there, there's, there's a lot going on in their minds up there. Well, look at Ted Bundy. You know? Yes, right. Correct. You know, very charismatic. Um, the the good serial killers, if, if you want to use that term, um, blend in very well. So you're not going to find um, a white serial killer in an all African-American or Hispanic neighborhood because they're not going to blend in and vice versa. Um, so they're going to dress the way that they can to blend in those, those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to act, you know, normal, so to speak, in order to be able to attract the ones that they want to, um, that they want to kill. Could you tell, uh, what, you know, when you were talking to him or went to them when, when they were lying to you? What's that again? I'm sorry. Could you tell, you know, during your talks with them when they were telling you the truth and when they were lying to you? Um, no, not always. So the very first execution that I witnessed, <clears throat> I asked him, um, you know, probably a couple months before, uh, if he would um, just sit down and write who he, describe who he thinks he is to me. Um, and he thought about it and he's like, man, that man, you're asking me to do something really, really difficult. He said, because mm-hmm. I have to think about myself. I said, yep, I'm, you know, I always ask the tough questions. I just don't always have the answers for them. So, you know, fast forward a few months later is execution time day of the execution we're together and he's like listen he said um i did exactly um what you said and uh everything um that you need that you wanted to know about me um i've i've written down and i put it in the mail today so you'll receive it but i'll already be dead um Hmm. because because i didn't want you to um read it beforehand and i said you know i appreciate that so you know, we went on, the execution took place. Three days later, I get this um, letter in the mail from him. And uh, it said, yeah, uh, dear dear Bill, you know, thanks for everything you've done. Just just so you know, um, yeah, I lied. I lied all the way. There was no way I could write this down. So what I did was the next best thing. I signed my entire case over to you. So you get to drive down to, at the time, Columbus, Ohio, the public defender's mm-hmm. office. Um, and pick it up. So I had to take my truck and pick up an entire death row case file, which was box after box after box, videotapes, crime scene photos, everything. Um, And he said, you know, at the end of the letter, you know, P.S., 
good luck figuring me out. So, and, and he had, he was already, you know, executed. So. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. You just never know. Huh? Um, no. as they get closer to execution, do they change any at all? I mean, or, or do they still stay pretty well focused on, on whatever, on life in the, in the prison? Well, I think, um, about the the final three, four, five days leading up to the execution, they you can see this um, numbness go through them, almost like a deer in headlights, and uh, it's it's almost like there's a, an overwhelming calmness about them. Now, I did have one individual when we were walking up and down death row, and we got to order the last meal, do all that stuff. Um, and it's just him and I, nobody else around. And he's like, man, Kimberlyn, you know, they're really going to kill me in a few days, aren't they? I'm like, yeah, uh, unfortunately they are. And he said, you know, I've been thinking if, if I kill somebody like right now, if I just kill another person right now, then they can't execute me, right? They'd have to try me. So that's going to take years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what if I just kill somebody right now? And, and of course, I'm looking around. I'm the only person <laughs> there's, no one there. there's no guard. There's no nothing. So right. I'm like, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. They're still going to execute you. They're going to try and abstent you. They're going to find you guilty. You're going to bring more shame to your family and that. So you just, you can't do that. And, he, you know, he's like, man, Kimberlyn, thanks. That's what I got you here for, to talk me down. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know where I came up with that, but, you know, <laughs> whatever works. So, um, so yeah, they, um, I think they're in denial all the way up to it. Um, then they're transferred to the the, um, the death house, which uh-huh. is a totally different prison. Um, and they're there for usually, you know, 36, 48 hours under, uh, you know, 24-hour watch. You know, three guards at all times uh, dictating everything that they do, whether they're brushing their teeth or, or sleeping. Um, and, uh, you know then the reality sits, sets into them. Um, and, um, when they, when they make them walk to the actual, uh, death chamber, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is like a deer in headlights. I've never seen anybody resist walking or anything like that, um, mm-hmm. or had to be carried or anything like that. But, um, they, they walk right in and they climb right up on the table. They get strapped down and you watch them insert the, the needles, you, you see it all. So, What's probably one of the saddest um, stories that someone's ever told you on death row? Um, wow. You know, that, that that's a tough question because when, um, when anybody um, tells you about all these different uh, murders and rapes that they've taken, you know, the lives of these innocent people, Every one of them is pretty sad. Um, I, I think the the one guy that I have, he, um, I, uh, I'm trying to think. I was sitting there one day with him, and he, he had not seen his kids um, since he had been on death row. And it's, it had been going on like 12, 13 years. So I said, uh, I asked him, I said, well, if I were ever bring your kids in here, hypothetically, they were sitting here with us, what would you, what would you even say to them? Um and he looked at me, uh, which felt like an eternity, and um, 
but it's probably like 30 seconds. And he said, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say anything to him. I, I, I just, um, I'd kill him. I'd probably kill them. I said, your own kids? He's like, yeah, it's, you know, I, I regret not killing them before I was put on uh, death row because of living with my last name and all. Huh. Uh, so, yeah, he said, I, I, I'd still kill them right now to this day. And, and to me, that was just um, gut-wrenching to hear somebody say mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Well, that was my next question when, when, when about, the, about the way these guys' minds work. I mean, they really have no problem with just killing to kill. Correct. Some of them are very opportunistic. They will mm-hmm. um, kill at a, a at a moment's notice. Um, you know, this is the same guy who said if he ever got out, he would, you know, go back and, and try to wipe out the rest of the, the bloodlines of the families of the victims that he did kill. Um, yet, in the same token, they're always concerned about me. Um, which I find fascinating from a psychological standpoint. So if, um, if I don't write them back when they write right away, or if I, you know, don't answer their phone calls when they call or their emails when they email or Skype when they Skype or visit when I should, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're always worried about my health. Um, if they swear in front of me, they're, you know, they'll apologize. And uh, those are the, those are the things that I take uh, really close notes on because in my opinion there's some disconnect the fact of the matter is that you can take the life of another human being and not think anything of it Mm -hmm. or in fact sometimes um get off on doing that yet Mm -hmm. here i am and you're worried about my health i had one guy that witnessed get executed and you know he apologized and i had to drive that far uh to attend the execution and uh you know that that's baffling sometimes that they're they're more concerned about basically a stranger like myself than they mm-hmm. were for any other victims i kind of run into that too you know like i said uh, earlier i never talked to death row guys but i had i talked to lifers and i sure. kind of run into that too they're very polite you know very, very. kind yes just don't turn your back yes <laughs> these guys right. you Correct. know and it's a creepy feeling. I mean, it's like at that time, uh, the TV show Oz was real popular. And yes. I remember I would watch it. So I go down the county jail, and sure enough, you know, there's a line to walk down, and no recorders, no this, no that. It was creepy. You know, it was really yeah. creepy walking in there. The minute those doors shut behind you, it's, that's when the yes. reality hits. Right. You're in their house. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and you respect that. And, and that's what's got me invited to a lot of different death rows and a lot of executions. I think I have another six invites to executions yet at some point. And uh, it's all about respect. They respect me. Mm -hmm. I respect them. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't lie to them. Uh, That's another big, uh, uh, big no, no is typically if they ask you personal questions, they already know the answer to it. Mm -hmm. So they're finding out if you're going to answer correctly or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they, they pretty much know everything about me. I know we answered this question earlier, but Jennifer got on late. So she has a question that says, um, is it, has there been any convict or, or anybody that has, uh, said they were in this, that, that they were not, that they were not guilty right up until the execution? Um, none that I've dealt with. Um, like I said, the one that maintains his innocence, right now that I deal with on a, a regular basis would be Scott Peterson. 
mm-hmm. uh, but he's uh, no longer on death row. Right. Uh, but uh, no, I, I don't, uh, of all of my inmates, you know, and, and I have countless, uh, none of them have ever, ever professed their innocence. If anything, they've uh, admitted to more. Okay. Okay. What's about the worst inmate you've run into as far as, you know, the crime? Um, I would say um, Samuel Little, who is probably okay. the most prolific serial killer. Uh, the only reason he reached out to me is because we were from the same area. Uh, mm-hmm. We knew some of the same people. And, um, you know, I think um, I, I think law enforcement said he killed, um, you know, somewhere upwards of 90 or so. He told he I wow. think he told me 83. Um, and then there's William Sapp. Uh, in Ohio's death row, he's um, he, he's he's um, he's pretty brutal. Um, he's killed. Uh, you know, he he's confessed to fifty. Uh, he's the one I have bodies uh, that need to be recovered yet, uh, and shows no remorse whatsoever. Um, I mean, he's just uh, he's not someone you'd want to run into on the streets, whether it's uh, daylight or dark out. So, um, but you know. Uh, the, at the end of the day, every single one of them are there for taking human lives. Mm-hmm. So they, they're all dangerous and they're, they're all, um, um, <laughs> they're all capable of killing again. Well, you know, depending, like you say, depending on the state that they're in too, there's that, there's that old adage about, about these guys that, you know, once they kill somebody, they've got nothing, they've got nothing to lose. Cause they're going to, if they get caught, they're going to be executed anyway. Correct. So they're just going to go on and keep killing. Correct. And uh, um, some of them have that mentality, you know, mm-hmm. why not, you know, do what I'm going to do because it, what's the worst, what's the worst that can happen? What are they going to do? Execute me? They're already going to. Right, 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 right. So what happens on, on, uh, on execution day? How does that day go? Okay. So uh, a, a typical execution day, uh, in, in again, I'll use Ohio for an example, would be that I would, um, I'll go down the night before. Uh, sometimes I'll visit that individual uh, at the death chamber the night before. Uh, other times, if um, I'm just going to see them the day of the execution, um, I will go to the prison at, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, to try to get there before the protesters and things of that nature. Uh, they'll process me in. I'll be placed in a debriefing room um, on the defense side. Uh, mm-hmm. There's only three people that can ever witness an execution on each side. The defendant gets to choose three people. The state has three individuals. Uh, typically on the state side, if there's victims, family members that want to attend, the, you know, they have first uh, right of that, uh, then possibly the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. On the defendant's side, typically um, they'll have, uh, he'll choose one attorney, uh, a clergy, and then myself. In the debriefing room, you'll always have the, the different attorneys sitting in there. You never come in contact with the, the witnesses for the state. Um, uh, the I'll, I'll go see uh, the individual usually about an hour prior to the execution in the um, uh, death cell. I'll, I'll talk to them. Um, I, I say very little because every single word that's spoken is put down in dictation. 
um, I try not to talk to the attorneys or anything very often in the uh, in the room that we're in. I, I do more listening than talking. Um, when it comes time for uh, you know the execution to begin, they'll walk uh, the first three witnesses over. They're set down in in little chairs. There's a partition that, that separates us, and then the three of us will walk over. Um, you're seated, you know, a few feet away from the, uh, the individual behind glass. There's a curtain. Um, behind the witnesses are specific reporters, mm-hmm. usually the Associated Press, Reuters, maybe a, a local paper. Um, they're taking notes of the witnesses typically watching the execution. Um, they bring the individual in, they strap them to the gurney. You'll watch them insert the, the needles and the catheters in. Um, the only people you do not see are the, they do have a, a medical doctor there to pronounce the, the inmate dead. Uh, they also have a crash card on standby just in case the wind, uh, the, um, the phone on the wall does ring with a last minute stay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you never see the doctor or the executioner. Um, they will, um, when the warden allows them to make their final statement, they'll make that. Um, the warden will give uh, supposedly a secret uh, signal, but it's when he buttons his top uh, coat button. Uh, that tells the executioners uh, behind the wall to start the drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how the drugs interact with the individual, it can go one way or the other. I've seen them both where they've, you know, gasped and, and went into convulsions and everything else. Um, after after the, the all the drugs have been injected uh, and there looks like there's no movement, um, they'll shut the curtain so the doctor can come in um, to see if the vitals are, are in, in fact, uh, the person is deceased. Um, if they are, then the doctor goes out, the curtain opens back up. Um, the time on the clock is marked, um, and then we're escorted out, and mm-hmm. then um, we we are in the debriefing room while they um, prepare the body, take it out, put it in the hearse, and uh, leaves the prison. So you, you you're there the entire time until that body leaves the prison. I know that. The other question I have too, like like, like with the uh, lethal injections, do they weigh these guys ahead of time so they can figure out how, how much to actually give them, or is no. it just okay? I just wondering how they do that. So so um, you know anybody out there that's ever had major surgery or anything like that, you know anesthesiologists are uh, you know that's one of the highest malpractice rates out there because it's such a a, a science um, here in executions. There are no, you know, registered nurses, no medical doctors, no anything because of the oath that they take. So typically they're prison EMTs. Um, And when the drugs are delivered, you're getting whatever they inject in you. So, you know, if it's a three drug cocktail of, you know, sodium pentothal, pancurium bromide and and potassium chloride, you know, the the paralyzation agent might wear off Mm -hmm. faster on one than the other. So mm-hmm. then the body isn't paralyzed. So you'll see that uh, body's natural defense mechanism kick in um, when the potassium chloride hits him and, and causes a heart attack. Um, mm-hmm. 
and you know the body's fighting against that so you see it all and as far as conscience um are they knocked out during this or are they awake? So the sodium pentothal typically will knock them, render them unconscious. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, you'll still hear them gasping a lot of times. Uh, you'll see the, the chest and the body convulse, things like that. But, uh, yeah, typically they're, they're unconscious. Do they have a choice in how they want to be executed or does it just a, a certain thing like in Ohio? Like I know California, I think, still offers the um, gas chamber and lethal. So, yeah, there are certain states. So the, the execution I'm supposed to attend eventually here in Florida, uh, he's chosen the electric chair. Um, Ohio right now is um, trying to implement the uh, firing squad. I think South Carolina just implemented the firing squad. Uh, to use as a, a backup method. So mm -hmm. some states do. Um, other states, you know, um, they they only have lethal injection. Federal government only has uh, lethal injection. So. Now, my other question is, and the, and the ones you've seen, has anybody actually been strapped onto that table and the phone rings? No. Okay. No, the phone has never, never rang while I've been there. Um, but, uh, you know, every... Every execution I've attended with, uh, all, even though they're all lethal injection, they've all been different. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How's your study going? I mean, is it still ongoing? It's nonstop. So I uh, um, I just wrapped up this, you know, the book, uh, and, and I know, you, I think you keep showing the, the first one. Yeah. Uh, but the, the one that's out now is... Uh, um, last words from death row. I don't know if you can see that one or not. Yeah, there um, we go. Uh, so it's with Wild Blue Press uh, okay. publishing. So that's the updated one with uh, new individuals in it um, and some you know better pictures and things like that. Um, it also shows uh, where where my next adventures are going in different uh, states as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the research is ongoing. Um, I think I'm scheduled to go out to California in January to interview uh, uh, one of the females out in Chowchilla's uh, death row, and then uh, Charles Ng in uh, San Quentin, who is um, a pretty high-profile serial killer with Leonard yeah. Lake. Um, so. Um, and then I go to Florida's death row quite often. And uh, so, yeah, every day, like today, I think there was three or four emails that I had received and a couple phone calls that I missed. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll step away from it. You know, I may not open up any mail for a week or two just to, you know, gather my bearings again. Because when you're surrounded by so much death, you, you have to, uh, you know, on top of working a, a full-time job and mm -hmm. having a family and everything else. So. It, uh, it gets overwhelming sometimes. I bet. I bet it does. Is it hard for you to get access to these prisons, or are they, or are all these prisons like on the same page about what you've been doing? So I never try to talk to the guards um, because I don't want the inmates seeing me uh, converse with any of the guards uh, for my own safety. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've I've had uh, the wardens, you know, question me why I'm attending executions i usually will not answer their questions mm -hmm. um, i've had attorneys ask me I, I usually will not answer their questions um I, i'm very um private when it comes to any of this because 
um, as long as I'm on uh, the list created by the defendant, um, that's all I need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they, uh, they, they, but, but I will say for the most part, they, they treat me really well uh, at every institution I've been to. Okay. Uh, question in the chat room is which execution method do you think is the fastest and more and most efficient? Firing squad. I would think so. So the firing squad, you would have five uh, sharpshooters approximately 25 yards away. The individual is strapped to a chair, uh, target over the heart, um, a hood over the face, four live rounds with a 30-30, one blank. Nobody knows who has the blank. When the execution uh, order is given, they fire off all five fire at the target at the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, heart will explode dead pretty much instantly. And have you ever had anybody uh, address? Kind of, you know, is the whole last words thing like for real? So you mean when the the last statement that they make? Yeah, in front of yeah. you know, as they're sitting there to be executed. Yes, so they're they're okay. entitled to the last uh, statement, uh, and it ranges from. Um, I've never heard anybody be remorseful. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've had them say weird things like, um, you know, I could really go for a, a bowl of soup and a chicken bone about now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one guy who uh, he um, he wanted to be the next Adolf Hitler and head of the Aryan Brotherhood and, and was so racist and, and just, you know, thought he was literally Adolf Hitler. Come time for his execution, he strapped down, he goes to make his final statement and starts reading it off all in German which also shows you how um, uh, unremorseful he was because it just Uh infuriated the survivors there. So um, I've had him to wave at me on the table and I just sit there and look straight ahead. I don't, you know, do anything. Um, So it's, it's very surreal. You can, it is so silent in there that you can hear the reporter's pens and paper, you know, as they're writing down, um, it, it's it's very eerie feeling, um, very surreal. Not Has something in- that not something that I enjoy at all. Hmm. Has an inmate ever addressed the uh, victim's family? No. Okay. No, not any of mine, anyways. Okay. Question in the chat room is which? Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, which which inmate or execution has made the biggest la- uh, lasting impression on you? Um, probably the first one, okay. um, because it took right about two hours from start to finish. They couldn't find mm-hmm. the veins. You know, they were sticking needles in the guy's neck and his and his legs. He had to mm-hmm. get up off the table to go uh, urinate. Um, you know, I, I I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this can't be real. I, I, this was not in that Sean Penn movie, you know, right. that was what was going through my mind, you know, and, and as they had was briefing me in the, the room prior to that, they were saying you know, it should take place and be done in about, you know, 20 minutes tops. And um, two hours later is when I walked out of the death chamber. So it was, uh, yeah, that one uh, I don't think I'll ever forget. Not not that I'd forget any of them, but that one there sticks with me. How um 
thoughtful. I mean, like like the night. Let's say the night before the execution, they get that last meal. How thoughtful are are they at that point? I mean, are they thinking, "Oh my God, I'm going to die. This is what's going through my head," or is it just a thing like, "It's going to happen. It's going to happen." At that point, they've typically um, um, accepted the fact that it's going to happen, mm-hmm. and um, they're they're usually at peace with it. Um, it, it's, they're not nervous. They're not, uh, overly emotional or anything like that. It's, um, um, it, it's kind of, uh, odd when you think about it, because I'm sitting there thinking there is no way I could be this calm and mm-hmm. yet, um, yet they are. So. What I think's interesting about all this is you get these guys of varying religions, so, you know, you know, you got the Catholic religion, you know, you kill somebody, you're going to end up going to hell or, or wherever you go. It just astounds me that they're as calm as they are, because, I mean, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're thinking that, so that you're going to be executed and then you're going to end up in, in a not so nice place, I don't know if I'd be that calm. So what I've learned over the years is these guys have been able to convince themselves that a sin is a sin no matter what. So if you steal a candy bar and, and I kill a human being, mm-hmm. we both committed the same type of sin, um, which is, you know, sounds completely absurd, mm-hmm. but they've convinced themselves of that. That's why um, typically they can kill anybody they want but themselves. They're afraid to kill themselves because they don't want to go to hell. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's, um, you know, their, their rationale is is totally different than ours so um but so is their thought process and feelings so when we feel empathy and sympathy for a victim uh in the family they can't understand why we would feel that way they 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 they're not they're incapable of feeling that that's why i think that there's a little bit more uh in the biological aspect brain chemistry wise Interesting. I just find this so fascinating because, like I said, you know, I, I've interviewed inmates that are uh, that are lifers, but I've never had death row inmates. So it's a totally different way of thinking, you know, with, with, with what you're saying compared to what I was used to talking to. Right, right. So, you know, when you're when you're placed on death row, so for instance, you put a child molester in in uh, general population, th- mm-hmm. they're they're not going to do well. Um, their life expectancy is probably going to be cut really short. You put that child molester who's also killed on death row, they're like anybody else. So everybody tends to get along. Um, they're, you know, they're, if anything, there's just competition of who they can talk to them. I'll have them arguing over each other because I'll spend more time with one than the other. It's like seventh graders sometimes. Um, do they get tend to get more, more more visitors than the regular inmates? Um, though they they certainly get a lot more mail and a lot mm-hmm. more money sent to them, especially overseas, because um, there's a huge female following with uh, death row inmates, and um, besides us in in Japan being the only two industrialized nations that have the death penalty. Nobody else really does. So Canada, Mexico, Europe, none of them do. Uh, so they're fascinated. So they'll write and correspond with them. And, uh, um, and, and the guys on death row are pretty manipulative. And uh, 
you know, plus they'll sell the artwork and things like that as well. So, mm -hmm. um, so they get, they get a lot of attention. And that brings me to my next question. What about weddings? Are they, are they allowed to marry, the, you know, certain women or whatever yes. when they're on death row? Yes. They just can't consummate it. <laughs> true, true, true. Okay. Yes. The whole thing is just crazy. I hate to say it, crazy, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just a world within a world within a world on its own. It is. It's, um, you know, it's a society that is a subculture and, uh, the, it, the lack of transparency keeps people from realizing what death row is really like other mm -hmm. than what you see on, on the media, on TV, mm -hmm. and they make it appear very safe and secure behind glass on the phone talking to them. So if, for instance, you know, I was taking you into death row and you were filming this, then they would have my guy behind glass on the phone shackled because they know it was going to be, you know, televised. Mm -hmm. But, you know, remove the media from it and I go in, then there's no shackles, no chains, no phones, no nothing. So That's spooky. That's really spooky. It's different. That's spooky. Bill, I want to thank you for coming on. This hour went by so fast. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, it's been an honor. So I have um, learned so much. <laughs> well, you know, I... I, I hope uh, the people that, that end up uh, picking up the book or reading the book uh, learn as well. And, um, you know, if, like I said, if uh, anybody wants to follow me on the Instagram or, or uh, Facebook, um, I, I, I don't do Twitter or any of that. I, I'm too mm -hmm. old school. I think I just got off of MySpace, it feels like. But uh, <laughs> they could always instant message me and, and, and I try to respond to everybody. Um, you know, the 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 book is through Amazon or wild blue press or, or most of the Barnes and Noble stores and things like that. But uh, um, yeah, I, I would, uh, I would encourage everybody to um, have an open mind when they read it mm -hmm. and, um, and, and formulate their own opinion. Don't, don't just take my word for anything. Um, you know, that, that's the reason why I wrote it the way I did. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's an unbiased view um, and and make the decisions for themselves on whether they are for or against uh, the death penalty. Absolutely. I would love to have you on again at a later date to talk more about this because this is just fascinating. I'd be honored to. Just and then, fascinating. And then I will um, let me know, and then I'll, I'll break out some of the tons of art that I can show everybody over the, the air here, and uh, I'll pick out uh, some really good ones and gory ones and um, – yeah. <laughs> well, let's plan on that then. Yeah, that sounds great. Absolutely. That sounds really great. Sounds I'd be really honored great. to. I'd be honored to. Okay, sir. Well, you have a good weekend, and uh, I will be in touch with you to set that up because I really would like to get you on again. I appreciate that. Take care and uh, give your uh, uh, dog a hug for me as well. I will do that. At least she stayed quiet, so she probably went to sleep for a while. <laughs> you know, funny. but it's getting closer. I know it. You know, so yeah, it's horrible to watch, but you know. Yeah. And then she's a rescue, so taking taking her to the vet's a nightmare because yes. she's afraid all the time. And I would, I would, I just hope she falls asleep because I don't want her last thoughts to be, "Oh my God, this guy's trying to hurt me" or whatever. Right. And she's and she's fighting back, you know. And and, and right. then they, they give her the jab. I just hope she just falls asleep and that's it. Yeah, so. we'll see. Well, you know. Hang in there. All right. Well, you have a good one, sir. Thank you. you Take care okay, now. Bye. Thanks again. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. I sure learned a lot, and I hope you guys did, too. We're going to get him back on again because I really would like to talk to him 
other stuff. But uh, Jennifer is a replay. It's all good. Yeah. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. I got some announcements to make. I've always got announcements to make lately. Sunday, we have a show. Well, kind of a show. Sunday, for the guy, the people that don't listen all the time, is I read uh, leading up to Christmas, and we, we might continue it after the holidays because I'm rather enjoying it. I pick a Christmas book, and right now we're in the middle of um, Mrs. Miracle, Christmas story that I'm, I'm trying to read the stuff leading up to Christmas for you guys. And uh, Christmas Eve, I will have a reading. Also, I'm going to read um, the Virginia Santa Claus letter, and we'll probably read the Polar Express that night. Maybe, you know, maybe night before Christmas. We'll see how that works out. But Sunday, I'll be well, I'll be here at 6.30 p.m., the usual time, to read from Mrs. Miracle. And I think we're up to Chapter 6 now with it. Um, also, if you're interested, um, Solstice is coming up. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Winter Solstice is coming up. And Solstice is a time to sit down and reflect on your future and everything. And and a good way to do that is to get a psychic reading of uh, whatever you want. You have three questions to ask Stephanie, and she'll gladly answer them for you. And uh, she'll use runes and some other stuff to do that. So if you're interested in doing something like that uh, as part of Solstice, that's going to be Sunday the 19th at 7 p.m. Pacific. And you can check that out at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com and um, sign on up and go on up to uh, across the top menu and click on extras and you'll see the events come up the other thing is if you like the show share it with five people if you hated the show share <laughs> share it with five of your enemies for equal opportunity here oh and before i forget see i'm getting ahead of myself monday's guest is going to be Britt rains we're going to be talking alien creatures and uh, abductions and bigfoot okay so we're going to be doing that at our usual time on Monday. Okay, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people. Anyway, you know, we're looking to keep building up our uh, YouTube page to get more subscribers, more and more subscribers. And uh, like I said, you know, you, you go back to, to the replay on this thing, click on subscribe and uh, get us more, as many subscribers as possible. Um, as you can see, I've got a flashing thing at the bottom. And California Haunt is a nonprofit organization. So all the money for this project to the radio show comes out of my personal pocket. So anything you could possibly help me out with would be great. I, I would really appreciate it because I want to keep great guests like Bill coming to see us. Um, you can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're not really comfortable with PayPal, a really easy way to do it is go to Venmo and just type in California Haunts and you can do it from there. But I'd really appreciate it because, you know, we want to keep the bills paid and, and, and have better internet and keep equipment going and all that good stuff. Again, I want to thank you all for coming, and I will see you on Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. Have a good weekend, or have a good couple days. Bye-bye.